With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome into All Ball. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Thanks so much for uh, making this a part of your podcast listening day, your podcast listening week. We're going to get you ready for the NBA draft, which, of course, is uh, this Thursday night. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, as well as I'll be posting some things on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, I've gotten a chance to talk to a bunch of NBA people and um, talk to some agents as well as some coaches, some front office people all of whom have given me a variety of uh, perspectives on what we can expect to see this Thursday. You know, it's interesting because there are some people that believe this is just going to be an okay draft. If you look back at last year, I'm not sure there was a ton of hype uh, at the top of the draft that matched the hype at the top of this year's draft. I actually think this is a pretty darn good draft. We should have uh, a bevy of starters a uh, bevy of rotation players, and then some intriguing prospects that could be very much hit or very much miss. Um, and look, I, I think there's a lot of different topic, talking topics, but here to me are the three most interesting. 
One is, do you pass on DeAndre Ayton at number one, or even in the top two or three, not because you don't have him as that highly rated a prospect, but because he plays a position to which um, is kind of being eliminated. It's not that the center position is being eliminated, but the type of center that uh, that he is is being marginalized in many ways. Now, he's mobile. He can shoot the basketball. Um, it's not that he is terrible defensively, but he's not a game-changer defensively, either laterally defending on switches or at the rim. So with that in mind, he's he's more of a traditional big guy in an era in which the traditional big guy is going the way of the dodo. There's also the other issue that you're going to run into, which is what do we actually see him against? Right? I mean, think about it for a second. We saw him against – he was Daniel Monte. I mean – I, I, I love and respect Fran Fraschilla from ESPN, who's covered the draft for a long time. And he's like, look, I saw him against Arizona State. Dude, Arizona State has no big guys. They played small ball. Of course he looked, he looked like uh, Billy Madison playing dodgeball. That's what it looked like. He's a man among boys. So we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, we have some guests that will join us. We'll have that conversation. I do want to have the conversation about, about Trey Young and whether or not he's closer to Steph Curry or closer to Jimmer Fredette, and what we can expect from a guy who had an incredible year. And you can sit there and, and pick apart his shooting percentages were awful from February 1st on. They were. His team got worse, didn't get better. That's, that's accurate. But he did, in fact, lead the country in scoring and assist as a freshman, and it's really, really hard to get uh, what, what's the right perception of him what's the right view of him we'll get to that uh, but here's the one i i want to get to and jeff goodman who uh, just left espn is going to satellite we talked a little bit on his podcast we'll talk a little bit more here on mine which is we have created we have created a generation of uh, of cyborg basketball players that's the best word i can think of to describe some of these guys cyborg basketball um, a cyborg is, uh, is, is where you're both organic and biometric in body parts. I mean that in that these guys are not real human beings. I'm not sure if you saw or read or heard the comments from DeAndre Ayton, who's probably going to be the number one overall pick, in which he said that he has these three kind of alternative personalities that he uses anytime he doesn't want to do an interview. You know, one's name is Eric. I can't remember the other two's name. It doesn't really matter. The point is this, that that's actually something he uttered. He was asked about why he signed with Puma, and he basically said it was a business decision. You know, he didn't say anything about the quality of the shoes or about the look of it. And it doesn't mean that it's not true. It's just like the interview thing. It doesn't mean that it's not true that you don't try and go to a different place and try and be a different person because you get tired of doing interviews. It's just who in their right mind would say that? And the answer is guys that don't have real emotional intelligence and don't understand how the world's going to take them. And look, I, I, I will blame some of this on the system. And by system, I don't mean the NCA. That's what most of you blame it on. I mean the system of he comes over with his family from the Bahamas and he ends up leaving his family home and he's basically like a, like a foster child, only his parents still wanted him, but he's basketball vagabond bouncing from home to home in order to play uh, for fake high schools. And then he's reunited 
with his family. But by then, you know, he he was he was just in the business of playing basketball. Like he's not a, he was never a kid. He was never allowed to just be a kid. He was never allowed to kind of succeed or fail. He was never allowed to go to regular high school. Like these things do work for people. We do realize that. It it it's okay for a seven foot tall freak athlete who's going to play in the NBA to just play in a regular high school team. Like it's okay. And you might say to yourself, "Yeah, but then they'll play two three zone. They'll hang on." Like okay, fine. He might not win every game. I mean, a- Anthony Davis, by the way. Uh, for people who don't know, played on one of the worst high school teams in recent memory, Anthony Davis. Now, he grew late, but it also allowed him to kind of explore his game as his body kind of developed. I just, or then you look at Michael Porter Jr., who said he's he's somewhere around Giannis as a player, but he feels like he's more like Tracy McGrady. And if you talk to NBA people, they'll all tell you, like, I just, I don't like him. I don't like him. It's not that he's a bad kid, not a gangbanger. He doesn't do drugs. Um, it's not an issue like that. He's just unlikable, hasn't been coached, kind of elite, elitist, arrogant. Um, you know, he thinks his shit doesn't stink, and he's never – dude's played two college basketball games, two ever in his life. And I guess maybe that's where the comparison comes when uh, – when he's talking himself up and he's discussing how great he is in comparison to Tracy McGrady, who, of course, uh, Tracy McGrady never played in college, I guess. Um, it's just a weird thing to say. It just the idea that you would have no real understanding of how uh, how you would be taken, how how people would feel when you would say this. Like, it's just not that hard to be coached to say when somebody asks you who you're like, I would love Someday, I would love someday to be like Tracy McGrady. That's what I'd like. Someday that's who got my game. Or I'd love to be a mix of, if I work hard enough, maybe one day I could be like a Giannis, like a Tracy McGrady, somewhere in between the two. This is a basketball player, Michael Porter Jr., who played in three games. Three. Three. His entire career. He scored 30 points in college basketball. He's 10 of 30 from the field, 7 of 20, 3 of 10 from three-point range, 7 of 9 from... You get the point. He had one assist in three games. I'm not going to make any statement about who he is or what he is. All I'm going to tell you is, please don't say you're Giannis or Tracy McGrady. Like, I don't think Tracy McGrady belongs in the Hall of Fame because until he was, you know, over the hill and the last guy on the bench, he couldn't make it out of the first round of the playoffs. That said, you're comparing yourself to a Hall of Famer. And Giannis is an MVP candidate. You've played 53 minutes of college basketball. And the reason that Michael Porter Jr., in, in, in completely different fashion, completely different fashion from DeAndre Ayton, Michael Porter Jr.'s dad was a coach in the women's team at Missouri. Very tight-knit family, very Christian family, very protected family. And basically, they wrapped him in a bubble so that he wasn't ever around the real world. And that's not what happened with Trey Young. And like Trey Young was asked in the Dan Patrick show if he could think of of any better shooters, and he said maybe Clay and Steph. Like, what? Who says these things? And and I I 
If you're downloading this podcast, you're probably not that guy, but you might be. You might think, Gottlieb, you're turning into get off my lawn guy. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, you walk into an NBA locker room and you say that shit and they're going to laugh in your face. They just are. They're going to sit there and go, well, okay, well, how come you shot 29% from three from February on? You know, how come your team started losing and you know you, you guys were falling and you can't get up? I've been a Trey. I was a Trey Young defender before he got to Oklahoma. But dude, they went eighteen and fourteen. Go back and look at at what happened to his squad. You know, I mean, hell, even if you go from the new year on, this is a great little exercise here, right? You go from January third. January 3rd to the end of the season. Do you want to know what his... And that January 3rd was his first game. Uh, that's when he took, I think it was 38 shots against Oklahoma State. If you look at, at Trey Young's numbers, okay, after February 1st, his team won two games. Two. Both at home, Kansas State, Iowa State. This is what he did over the last 11 games of the season. He shot 36% from the field, 26% from three-point range, 26%. He had 79 assists and 56 turnovers. Like, look, I, I, I like Trey Young. He was way better, way earlier than anyone could have hoped. But who has the balls to go on Dan Patrick's show and say, uh, you know, listen, uh, Steph and Clay are the only two guys that can hold my jog as a shooter. Like, I, I want, you want your kid to be confident. You don't want your kids to be arrogant. And even if it wasn't, it wasn't tongue planted firmly in cheek. Even if you're just kind of living up to the moment, like, Hey, this is what guys do. They talk about themselves. They brag about themselves. The inability to relate to everyone else in the world and how everyone else is going to take that is kind of what's missing. Trey young, his dad, Ray young. I played against him was a very good player at Texas tech. And Trey has been his entire life uh, has been kind of molded for this destination, that he could play in the NBA, that he could be a one-and-done. And I guess they're right, right? Like, they didn't want him, you know, he didn't go to Kentucky because well, Cal Perry wasn't sure he was a one-and-done. And Kansas wasn't sure. You know, they had Devontae Graham. They had other players. He would play, but he probably wouldn't get the opportunity to put up the numbers that he put up at KU. And so I guess he's right. And we're all wrong. On the other hand, we've created this system to which guys aren't dealing with, they're not dealing with the realities of life. Like you're going to struggle. It's going to be really, really hard. Those are the, there's 450 players in the NBA. There's basically like 325 NBA players. The rest are guys that kind of rotate around or whatever, uh, call up, call down, two-way guys. And Anyway. But even if it's 400, 450 jobs, they're all coming at you, just like they all came at Lonzo Ball. And look, Lonzo Ball shot great, shot very good percentages in college, terrible in the pros. His team accomplished more than Trey Young's did, and his run wasn't easy. The point is we've created this environment to which um, these guys have a completely unreal sense of who they are. That's why let's get back to DeAndre Ayton. Do I think Ayton's good? Yeah. Do I think he's a man-child? Of course. But I also realize, tell me who the NBA players, the NBA bodies he's going against are. It is men against boys. 
If you are big, you're gone. There aren't big, there aren't old big guys in college basketball that are good at all. If you're any good, if you're at mobile at all, you know, there's the Isaac Haas, uh, the Isaac Haas of the world. There's a four-year player. I guess the point is that if we're comparing DeAndre Ayton and what he did, you look at how he struggled against Buffalo, right? He struggled against Buffalo because Buffalo played small ball. So, look, I want to get to the DeAndre Ayton conversation, the Trey Young conversation, do that in a second. But the first thing is, and maybe the most important thing is, we've created these cyborgs. They look like humans. They feel like humans. They play basketball like superhumans. But they are not human beings. Whether it's DeAndre Ayton bouncing from house to house to house after coming over from the Bahamas, or it's Trey Young and Michael Porter, raised by great families who meant well, but an effort to shelter them from the ills of the world created... All they do is play basketball and post on social media and talk about how great they are because on social media, people either talk about how great they are or they take shot. They, they try and take shots at them and those guys become haters. And that's a, it's a fascinating world in which we live in in the in basketball because football just for the most part doesn't have that. There's a certain grit and toughness and you have to have shown it. You play three years in, in, in college and so your flaws get exposed. I thought for sure no person, no person could make Josh Rosen uh, look humble. And then I read the comments of Michael Porter Jr. comparing himself to a Hall of Famer and a future Hall of Famer, one of the top players in the NBA, and Giannis, and saying he thinks he's a little bit better right now, seeing as he's played 83 minutes in college basketball, 53 minutes, whatever the hell it was. Yeah, that's that's cart a little bit ahead of horse. Uh, I am excited about the NBA draft. I have written a column, which you may see up on The Athletic. <clears throat> Let me kind of give you the basis of it. It's, I would take this guy over that guy. I would pick this over that. I would take Colin Sexton over Trey Young. And you might say to yourself, you're hating on Trey Young again. No, um, doesn't have great practice habits. Not, not a leader that people get behind, whereas Colin Sexton is and does. I do think those things matter. Colin Sexton can already guard his position and is tough enough to guard bigger players. That's huge in the NBA where tr- switching everything or switching one through four is the norm, not the exception. And whereas it's hard to, to hide a Trey Young. And you're left with two different decisions if you have Trey Young. One is to give him the ball, give him a high ball screen, spread him out, and let him just go. What are you going to have? You're going to have some nights where he's outstanding. You're also going to have some really high turnover nights and some really bad shot nights. And the numbers will skew in his favor because... Like, look, dude, if you put a guy into 80 pick and rolls, he's going to get some pretty good numbers. Either he's going to hit shots or somebody else's. But will you win that way? Uh, I talked to an NBA coach who said, whoever drafts Trey Young is going to get fired. Now, you could say that about a lot of guys, but the point was you draft him a little bit higher than you want to because you're trying to not miss on the next Steph Curry, even if he's not Steph Curry. And the downside to that is you're going to play him earlier and give him more opportunities than he probably deserves earlier because of how high a draft pick he is and how much of a following he has. What happened with Johnny Menzel? What happened with Jimmer Ferdette? We focus on Steph Curry because his game does look in many ways like a freshman college Oklahoma version of Steph Curry, but there isn't the leadership quality. Remember, Steph played more off the basketball, even his first couple of years, not just because of injury. It should be noted, uh, I was told by several members of the Warriors front office at the time, 
when they made the trade, uh, when they trade away Monte Ellis to get back Andrew Bogut in return, Steph Curry and Monte Ellis were offered. Pick one or the other. The Bucks chose Monte Ellis. So not only did the Bucks not know, the Warriors didn't know. Things came together and became a two-time MVP, but let's not act like we all saw this coming. I definitely didn't. But even if you did see it coming and you liked him, he was a better leader. Uh, he competed more at the defensive end. Trey Young's a very good passer. I would say Steph, uh, Steph didn't show us as much passing until his junior year when he did play some point. Um, and I, I think that Trey Young is growing into his body. He'll be a better athlete. Neither are great athletes, but I do think that Steph was a little bit more bouncy. Now, Trey hasn't had any injuries, and Steph had early injuries. I, I just think you're going to give this kid the ball because you're going to overdraft him, and he's going to struggle. And we talked with uh, Steve Clifford, who's the head coach of the Orlando Magic, probably going to have Trey Young. That looks like a destination for him. They need a point guard. They also need a reason to fill up that new arena. The problem with that is Steve Clifford has even said, hey, guys in the pros that give up 20, 25 a night, those are, they're really, really hard to win with. All right, here's another one. Some people like Troy Brown, whereas I like Chandler Hutchison. Troy Brown, super hyped, on paper, super talented, and maybe, maybe he's like Jalen Brown, no relation, where Jalen Brown didn't shoot a good percentage of cow, but became a, a viable three-point weapon in the pros. And Troy Brown's only 18 years old. He turns 19 this summer. But I look at Chandler Hutchison, who's only he's 22 years old. He's more refined. In the switch-happy NBA, he can guard multiple positions. And no, he'll never be the ball handler Troy Brown is, but he's a really good 3 and D guy. He can hit threes at a much higher clip than Troy Brown can, and he can play D at a much higher level than Troy Brown can. Instead of living on AAU reputation, I would draft Chandler Hutchinson because during his rookie contract, you'll get more out of him than you will Troy Brown. Here's one. I, I'd take Aaron Holiday ahead of Jalen Brunson. Both are, both are going to be backup point guards in the NBA. Jalen Brunson is a better basketball player. He leads a little bit better. He makes more shots. He's a sounder passer. He's a smarter player. Aaron Holiday's tougher, more athletic, and a better fit as a backup guard in the NBA. Both, of course, have NBA DNA. Um, Jalen's dad was a long time. Rick was a long time backup in the league. And if this was 1992, when you could back dudes down and score in the mid post, in the mid post, and score on pull ups, you take Jalen Brunson in a heartbeat. But because it's 2018, where you get ISO and you have to have lateral foot quickness and you can't touch anybody, I like uh, I take Aaron Holiday ahead of Jalen Brunson. Um, I would take Grayson Allen ahead of Dante DiVincenzo. You know, Dante DiVincenzo is kind of the newer version of Grayson Allen. And Grayson Allen isn't as bouncy as he used to be, but he's still pretty bouncy. He makes shots. He's a much better ball handler than Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, and though DiVincenzo is an excellent defender, I think Grayson Allen will be a pretty good defender. Both will struggle against bigger, longer dudes. Uh, DiVincenzo tough, probably a little tougher than Grayson Allen, but Grayson Allen is far from soft. I would actually take Grace now and ahead of Dante DiVincenzo because I think he's a far more refined offensive player, seeing as he was the guy at Duke, and then he had to fit in with a group at Duke, whereas DiVincenzo came off the bench and, listen, he, you just had a chance to just go get buckets and not have to think about running a team. DiVincenzo is not a point guard, not close, but at least when um, Grace Nowen did play point, it wasn't the disaster that at times Dante DiVincenzo was. And, I again, like Dante DiVincenzo, glad he's staying in the draft think he's going to stick in the NBA for a long time. I just have both eyes open.
And then the last one in the pick this, not that, is DeAndre Ayton. I would take Marvin Bagley over DeAndre Ayton. Show me the big center. I guess it's Joel Embiid. But Joel Embiid's a much better all-around athlete out in the court. Um, and remember, Embiid's perimeter game took years to develop, and that development began when he had the first really two years off of his NBA journey. That's not what's going to happen with DeAndre Ayton. He won't have the time to develop until probably his first offseason. Bagley, at worst, well, maybe not worst, at I would expect him to be a Chris Bosh type. I do think he can handle the ball a lot better and be involved a lot more on the perimeter, handling the basketball, passing the basketball, getting his own shot, getting into some ISOs in the pros than he was when he played at Duke. Marvin Bagley was supposed to be the number one pick before the season. Maybe this is confirmation bias, and that's why I'm going with him ahead of DeAndre Ayton or more. It's just I've watched enough NBA, and I see the paucity of legit back-to-the-basket players, and I'm like, that DeAndre Ayton thing sounds great when you're at Arizona. It doesn't sound great when you get to the pros. In the pros, you got to play face, you got the basket, and you have to be a better rim protector. He just doesn't protect the rim all that well. 2013-2014, uh, Indiana Pacers had... I mean, they, look, they, they had a shot. They had an absolute shot at the, the Miami Heat. And the roster composition is... Is and the the role allocation is so different, so different. They finished first in the NBA's Central Division. They lost in Game Six to the Miami Heat. They beat the Hawks in seven. They beat the Wizards in six. And this is a team that remember that was before Paul George uh, broke his leg. Paul George is only twenty three. They had Lance Stevenson. That was when Lance Stevenson, whew, George Hill, David West, Roy Hibbert good team but watch the nba playoffs now and you're like wait whatever happened to roy hibbert not in the league david west and yeah, look, i grant you david west at 37 years old you know nobody at 37 years old is going to be nearly what they were at 33 years old but he's also he's not a traditional but he was a two, early 2000s late 90s power forward right, he could score some in the post he's very good on pick and pop but on what's called a short roll, you know, like an 18-foot. I mean, just that keyhole jump shot he would make time and again. And Hibbert's out of the league. West, and maybe, or guys like West are now either shooting threes or they're out of the league. Kind of fascinating how this thing has changed. Nobody knows it better than Frank Vogel, of course, longtime coach in the NBA. Kind of to spend some time with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, what When was the moment that, that the shark was that the shark jumped that all of a sudden, like a guy like Roy Hibbert couldn't play in this league. Was it, was it those final series where they would go where, where they would go small against you guys and he had no one he could guard? Well, I definitely think that contributed to it. And I don't know if there was uh there was one moment, but um, you know, when we had the number one defense in the league two years in a row, Roy was the centerpiece of that. And um, you know, a couple of different playoff series uh, sort of, I don't want to say exposed Roy, but uh, made it difficult for us to, to have him out there was the Atlanta series where they played with five point five three point shooters and then uh, each of those Miami series ultimately ended ended in Chris Bosch playing the five and you know obviously they were able to prevail. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of different teams uh, began doing it, uh, you know, in small stretches and then obviously Golden State uh, and went to their death lineup and, you know, everybody copied them from there. So, you know, I think it was a, a gradual evolution. And, um, you know, it certainly uh, changed, changed the way the game is played today. 
Okay, so I, I guess here's the question. You've been in this game essentially your entire professional life, right? Worked your way up, become the head coach of the Pacers, head coach of the Magic. Frank Vogel, our guest on the Doug Gottlieb Show. I, I, was, I was hanging out with an Eastern Conference head coach last week, and he was telling me, like, look, it's not coming back. Like, the, the big guy who posts up, it's just <laughs> not, com- not coming back. He's like, I, we, were, we were holding out hope because they have a center that they're probably going to part ways with. That you know, you call for the ball. And they're like, we tracked it. It's a forty-four percent shot for our big guy to score in the low post. He's pretty good, and the, the, they're not going to change the way they officiate. So it's a very physical game down there. It it makes it inefficient. But then I look, and you got you know Carl Towns, you got um, you know Joel Embiid, you got Demarcus Cousins, you got DeAndre Ayton coming in the league. They do have really good big guys. Do you think it ever comes back in vogue that you can use a true center? Well, I yeah, I. I, I... I don't think it's ever going to come back to the way it was. You know, to me, it's it's really about playing with two bigs is where the game has changed over the last you know five or six years more so than the true center. You know, I still think there's a, a place for post offense, and uh, you see that throughout you know, throughout the playoffs. You do see uh, the ball in, in going to the post, uh, whether it's a wing player like like LeBron or uh, you watch Joe Allen B play, um, Cousins you mentioned, even even you know trying to get Kevin Love and Al Horford involved down low. You know, as you watch the Eastern Conference playoffs, you know it's 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 always going to be a part of the game, but it's not it's not going to go back to the way it was, where you know you're seeing, you know, the the '80s where Lajuan and and uh, Duncan are, are getting the ball down low 20, 30 times a night. It's just not as efficient, not as efficient offense as you know playing the spread pick and roll game and uh, striving for for open layups and open threes. Frank Vogel, I guess. DeAndre Ayton's getting ready to likely be the number one overall pick, and some of it is out of need, right? You look at, at the void with the Phoenix Suns is they don't have a true center. But how do you – this is like in football. Do you take a running back that early in the draft, like Saquon Barkley, who fits that kind of the classic running back, but you can get a running back and be fine later on in the draft. You can – Clint Capella can be a great role man – and can switch defensively, and you can get a Clint Capella later on in the draft. How do you evaluate a player like Aiton, who can face up, does have some agility, but he's not a great shot blocker, and he's not really like a roll-to-the-rim big guy. How do you evaluate how effective he can be, and if you use your number one pick on him? Well, you got you got to gauge all those things. You know, how good of a defender is he going to be? Is he going to be down like, like Rudy Gobert uh, in today's game? Is he, uh, is he just going to be average? Is he um, is he going to be uh, extraordinary as a as a lob threat rolling to the basket? Uh, is he going to be a short roll guy where he's getting catching the ball in the pocket, or is he going to be a you know, most effective getting the ball in in a, in a low post? And um, you know all those things you know you measure on a on a one to ten scale and um, you know take the totality of it and and you know then obviously you factor in all the things like IQ and drive and and all those things uh, to see what kind of player you, you're going to get. Frank Vogel, our guest on the Doug Gottlieb Show. How difficult is the task of coaching and managing egos, knowing that these guys, like they've gotten smart with free agency and they're taking short deals and they're talking and texting behind everybody's back about kind of joining up and joining forces? <laughs> How difficult is it putting the team together? Yeah. Like just managing the egos. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just part of the game. You know, I, the way it is when, when free agents come around, um, and even you know guys that aren't free agents yet, but are going to be free agents, they can kind of talk their way out of situations. Um, you know that's why I, I really believe that I've always had the mindset that you want to partner up with your guys, you want to make them 
you know, as happy as, as, as possible. And, and, you know, a lot of that involves, um, you know, are, are we being pushed here, you know, with, with whatever team uh, that player is on? And um, you want to make sure that your situation uh, is clear uh, to each player that, that this is the best situation for them and they don't need to be looking elsewhere. Um, you, you also took on a completely different challenge in Orlando, right, where it was a complete rebuild, and you're trying to you're like you're 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 torn right because you're better off if for the franchise if you lose on the other hand for you and your job security you got to win and be competitive um if you could do it all over again would you do it all over again you know, obviously uh, you know you look at little things you can do differently but you know we 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 absolutely had uh, a long-term approach there um it's a unique situation for me because our front office our front office teams after year one. And, um, you know, you just approach the team as if you're going to be there forever. You know, that, that's the mindset I've always had. You know, it's not about, you know, scooping up a couple extra wins here and there to, you know, quote unquote, pad your stats or whatever and make yourself look good in terms of how many wins you have. And, um, you know, but you have to do what's, what's in the best interest of, of the franchise, you know, and, and operate under the assumption that you're going to be there long term. You uh, you had un- until he was traded. You had Alfred Payton, who was really talented guard, but he really he struggled to shoot, right? And I and I had uh, Steve Clifford on, who obviously took the Orlando job. And we talked about we didn't talk about Trey Young per se, but there's the balance of you, you really need shooting. You really need to be able to shoot the basketball in today's NBA, unless you know, unless you're some freak like Giannis, you know, who can get to the basket or, or Ben Simmons. And even that, some gets exposed in the NBA. But the point guard position, you really need to shoot. On the other hand, you know the way people play defensively now. Everybody's switching defensively. You also need to guard. How, how, how should we evaluate players coming in the league and the importance of shooting as opposed to the importance of defense in, into who should be, for example, a point guard for a team that's trying to rebuild? Well, I, I think uh, shooting is, is more of a premium now than it's ever been, and it's not just the point guard position. I think I think every perimeter position uh, has has to have you know uh, the ability to shoot the basketball or we, we respect it out there. Um, and then in most cases, the center position does as well. <laughs> it's it's really across the board, not just not just the point guard position. So, you know, I think there's a you know, you, if you're not a great shooter, you got to be um, you've got to excel in other areas. You know that's clear, and um, you know I think that's what everybody's looking at with all these these players uh, coming into the draft. And then, as in terms of the defensive end, it is a switching world out there. So, um, you know, your competitive spirit, your fight—it's not just always about your size and athleticism, but you know, uh, you know, what's your IQ like? You know, when you're going to switch? Are you going to be there's guys like Andre Miller and and uh, you know Jared Dudley who are not the most athletic guys, but they're savvy enough to to not get beat in switches and. Um, you know, you just have to evaluate all all those types of things. It's not just about uh, your raw athleticism, but switchability defensively and three point shooting are, are obviously big premiums in what everybody's looking for in this year's draft. Well, Frank, everybody knows you can coach. I'm sure you'll be back coaching very, very soon. If not, we're just going to keep plucking your knowledge because it's it's great. Um, <laughs> Anytime. It, it's so it, it's it's so far above uh, that of uh, of us of the common man. Appreciate you joining us. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Doug. Take care. You can follow him on Twitter at RP3Natural. He's Rashad Phillips, basketball analyst and a draft guru. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. All right, so I saw you on Colin Cowherd, and you had Trey Young 
as your number one prospect in the draft. Why? Yes, um, just because when you when you look at the the dynamics of the NBA game and the way that it's evolving, you have to have a, a dynamic type of point guard in order to win games, and and Trey Young epitomizes that. But he doesn't play any defense. There's a lot of guys that don't play any defense in this draft. No, no, hold on, hold on. There's guys, uh, Marvin Bagley there's doesn't guys, play there's, defense. Who, who, who doesn't? Marvin Bagley's not a great defender either. Well, there, there's, a, there, there's, great there's, there's two. There's there's two types of guys though. Okay, there are guys yeah. that don't give enough effort and could give more effort. There are guys that don't okay. have the the speed and quickness to it. And there are guys that try to stay away. Like, dude, he doesn't guard anybody, anybody, and mm-hmm. his body his body type is such to which. I know he's added some strength here in workouts. Yeah, yeah. But his yeah. body type says where he just gets ragdolled by people, whereas Bagley's not great and needs to be better. But let's be honest, at least he can put a body mm-hmm. on somebody. The same can be said for Doncic. Yeah, yeah, but uh Trey is a lot like Steph Curry in regards to his offense is his defense. So you have you cannot ignore how great he is on the offensive side of the floor because in the NBA it's not about uh ball stoppers in the NBA. It's about excitement. It's about hitting three-pointers, electrifying the crowd. That's what the NBA is about. It's not about guys that can sit down and play defense. Okay, so why why did he struggle so much from February 1st on? Well, you have to look at it from the standpoint where he was the, you know, the number one guy on the scouting report. Uh, Oklahoma wasn't really a good team, and they wore him down a lot. Uh, a lot. So he tried to give all he could on the offensive end but and tried to rest a little bit on deep, on the defensive end, and he got burnt a couple times. And hopefully, you know, he's learned from that. That's been about – that was about five months ago. Hopefully he's learned from those mistakes. Um, it seems like he's gotten bigger in the weight room. Um, and now at, at the NBA game, he's not going to have that much responsibility um, as, a, as an offensive player. So he's not going to have to carry the weight and the load of a whole team like he had to do in college. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio, Rashad Phillips joining us. Okay, so if you have him, I mean, if you have him number one on your board, that would make him the most underrated guy. So who is the most overrated guy? Which guy makes you the most queasy if if you see his name taken early? Uh, I would have to say Luka Doncic. I just kind of, I kind of cringe at that. I, I cringe at it because here's a guy that hasn't proven anything in in American basketball, obviously he's fantastic in European play, uh, and I respect what he's done as a European player. But the NBA, it's a totally different thing. Let's let's think about football here, Doug, because you're a football guy. Just like the CFL, a guy catches 20 touchdowns in the CFL as a wide receiver, and then he comes to the NFL. Well, there's going to be different defenders. There's no Darrell Revis's in the CFL. There's no Josh Normans in the CFL. Luka Doncic has that same type of transition that he has to get accustomed to. Different defenders, smarter guys, taller, stronger, and coming for his throw. You know, it's 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 interesting because I, I look, I played overseas, you did as well. We yep. both know that that like look, there's a different set level of athlete, especially when you're going right. against a European a European guy trying to guard you, a different style of officiating. Yeah. But we also have to remember that college basketball isn't at the level of Europe, and it's it's actually a lower like it's like the the DeAndre Ayton thing. Is yeah. he a, is he a freak? Yeah, but he's also yeah, going against is. college bigs, 
And there are no Agreed. good college bigs, so he's not going against anybody who's of like talent. I, I, I agree with that. I, I have to agree that, you know, Aiden is a physical specimen. Um, he's bigger than everybody, so he's going to have an adjustment as well. But again, he has been accustomed to playing over here in America, so his transition is not as, not as, as deep as it's going to be for Luka Doncic. I think Luka's going to have more of a steeper learning curve um, than a guy like DeAndre Ayton. Um, our kids in America are bred to play at the NBA level. Um, that's the way they're raised. And with Trey relatively, here's a, his dad played at Texas Tech. So he's been around that, and he studied it since a kid. So you gotta, you, you got you to gotta respect that part of it. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is a tough one, right? He has a ton of offensive skill. But he has had injuries. He hadn't played much in college. And there's also something that he has that a lot of people think that Trey has, where there's this, he hadn't really been coached. And he, he, they, I mean, these guys come in thinking, I mean, he was quoted saying, like, I think I'm more like Tracy McGrady. I go stronger. I'm tougher around the basket than Kevin Durant is, like, He's not comparing him. Right. He's not saying one day I want to be saying I already am. A lot of his, his arrogance rubs people the wrong way. What do you think of Michael Porter Jr. when he, what he'll be in the NBA? I, I, think, I think his is really based on, on injury. Um, in regards to having confidence in himself, I have no problem with that. But sometimes, it, you know, these are, these are kids at the end of the day. So sometimes uh, they don't express themselves the way that they should, um, like Aiden's comments about his Puma shoe. I'm sure we can get into that later. But I, I think Michael Porter, if he, if he can stay healthy, um, I think he's going to be a, a really good NBA player. Um, but there's still a lot to improve on. And I don't know if he can play 82 games because he couldn't play 30 college games. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a really hard one when you look at guys getting, getting dinged up. Although you did just right. say that, that – uh, Trey Young got worn down, and you think he's going to play yeah. two games when he struggled. I, I understand it's totally different than three games versus. Um, yeah. You mentioned the shoe thing, so people are just joining us, and they're not shoe guys. Puma has signed Marvin Bagley and DeAndre and Jay Z. Yeah, and and your reaction was what? I just I don't I think they're going to have a hard time because this generation of kids and, and histor and his, history tells us that we don't really purchase post-player shoes. So they, they, there's going to be an uphill battle in regards to trying to sell post-player shoes to kids because kids are the ones who buy shoes. I, I, look, I don't, think I don't think they did it to sell shoes specifically, right? Like very few guys uh-huh. with their signature shoes actually yeah. make money. Puma's just trying to get skin in the game. You get Jay-Z. I, I Jay-Z is their, is their big play. They're going to have the yeah. number one and probably number two picks in the NBA draft. And even us talking about it is wins for Puma. Like, man, they won't sell shoes. Yeah, but we're talking about it, which, considering <laughs> yeah. Puma was never word of mouth, we haven't heard. Nobody signed with Puma since Vince Carter did. I actually right. think that's their win. Is that a, is that a fair, is that a fair yeah. statement? I, I totally understand that. I was just thinking from a, a shoe standpoint, if, you know, you got kids, I got kids, I'm not going to take my kids to the store to go buy uh, you know, some DeAndre Aiden shoes. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to go get them some Kyrie Irvins or something like that. But from that standpoint of of reconnecting with the culture, I think it's a phenomenal idea to get those guys and, and get Jay-Z as an ambassador to come along. And I think they'll be going in the right direction in that regard. 
The only thing I will I will say, I'll say this. I, I, I agree with you in thought that my kids wouldn't buy big guy shoes. It's one of the reasons no. that LeBron James, a lot of LeBron James' shoes have been a tougher sell because right. LeBron James is a big dude. He's got to have big dude, dude shoes. But, but yeah. remember, like, if you go back, remember the David Robinson pumps? I had those. those? Yeah, I had them too. The, sh- the Shaq too. pumps? I had those. The Shaq pumps? I had those. So I, I didn't buy the Shaq LA gears. So there were no. some big guy shoes that did sell. But David Robinson kind of was more of a, he was an NBA scoring champ, you know, so yeah. he had a little bit more gravitation because of what he accomplished in those shoes. But just the, the traditional, like, Tim Duncan shoe, like nobody's taking their son to Foot Locker and saying, hey, man, let me get you these Tim Duncan. This, <laughs> that's just not happening. I know, I understand. That's just fair. It's also it's Tim Duncan. He was incredibly, incredibly boring. Hey, great job today on The Herd. Thanks so much for joining us. Follow him on Twitter. He's Rashad Phillips. Rashad, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Doug. You're the man, like always. All right, in a uh, tit-for-tat, uh, yesterday we recorded his first uh, podcast. It's called Good and Plenty. He's Jeff Goodman, now of um, Stadium Sports and he joins us here on the All Ball podcast. I have topics that I don't know if you got to the rest of your on the rest of your pod, podcast. We talked a little bit on yours about DeAndre Ayton, the death of uh, the death of the modern day center. Here's one I want to get to: um, Luka Doncic. It it feels to me like we're massively underrating him, massively, and and here's well, why. But we started overrating them, didn't we? Like, like because ESPN and, and, and Jonathan Javoni and Mike Schmitz had him as, like, the number one pick all year. So we started overrating him, and now I think we are underrating him and people saying he's the number four pick and picking apart his game and he's not athletic. Uh, he's probably somewhere in between, right? Well, I, I, guess, I guess, look, there's a, there's a question here, okay? There's, there's a bunch of things that go into it. Um, would you say how competent a shooter do you think he is? I mean, from what I've watched on film, and I've watched a ton, is is he's pretty good. I mean, he's streaky, but his shot looks it looks nice. I mean, the releases yes. it, it looks good. I mean, he's going to make shots in the league, partially because he's already a pretty good shooter. He's young, and his work ethic is good, and he's really confident, almost on the border of of. Um, cocky which he's going to need to be coming into the nba well it's 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 fascinating we, i got into a little bit of the confidence and the arrogance the michael porter jr and some of his most recent comments uh well i want to get to those i i think it's interesting though that like we're not paying attention enough attention to trends in the nba i, I talked to several people in the nba that uh, look we ain't drafting anybody that can't shoot we're just not you know we're just not drafting like Unless we'll find like Clint Capella, right Unless right it's a it, big it, a if that's a big, type. or if it's a, or if it's if it's a Giannis, you know, if it's a game changing, right. ball handling, yeah. super long, athletic, uh, maybe we can teach him how to shoot Ben Simmons type, right? Like those guys. Well, those guys yeah. are stars, and in the only way those guys can be, who you know, reach their potential is if you space the floor and put three point shooters. So it's interesting with the Doncic thing, where I I do think he's going to be a very good shooter in the NBA. I don't think he may not ever be the best player on his team, but I mean, considering at his age, winning a Euro, winning a uh, yeah. a La Liga as well, and being the best player on that team and the kind of leader of that age. team and dominant, yeah. uh, that's that's pretty crazy. That that we're comparing him to well, it's Michael Porter Jr. who played in three games, 
or DeAndre Ayton, who we all consider to be a beast, but there are no good centers in college basketball. And yeah, he was dominant, but he got beat in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So I, I think it's a, it's a really hard comparison to make because the quality of competition is so different. And he's so different than everybody else you've mentioned. And that's why, like you said, you do have to pay attention to the trends a little bit. I, I agree with you. He's probably, he's probably not capable of being a number one guy on his team, but that's fine. If he's the number four pick in Memphis, and you pair him with Conley, and you've obviously got to add a couple more pieces, but he's a guy you can build around. You know, to me, can he be a Gordon Hayward type? Like, that's who I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a, I think it's a really good comp. I think the Gordon Hayward is a really good, really good, really good comp. Uh, Gordon Hayward's a little bit bigger than he is. Yeah, but he yeah, can do everything. Hayward could pass. He could shoot. He was Hayward's more athletic, but he just knew how to play and did everything well. Nothing elite, elite level but he's a great number two guy on a team. All right, how how do NBA people view some of these young guys and their comments? Trey Young earlier today, I want to do something that's never been done. Dan Patrick asked him if there's a better shooter out there. He said maybe Stephen Clay. Michael Porter Jr. comparing himself to Giannis and to T-Mac. Even DeAndre Ayton's (laughs) made some weird comments. Here's what I said. I said, like, look, we've, we've almost created these cyborgs, right? They look like humans. But they're clearly not human beings, right? They're not, they, they're not, they don't understand the idea that we want you to, even if you're not humble, to appear to be humble. Like when, when Taylor Swift, every time she gets an award, every time she gets a Grammy, she gets up there and she's like, oh my God, I yep. can't believe it. And that's how we want you to at least purport yourself, especially when you're super young. How do NBA people view these guys? I wish I could play back the comment that Markel Fultz made to me before he played a game at Washington a year and a half ago, about a year, right? Yeah. Um, right. About a year and a half, two years ago, whatever it was. And, and I asked him, I said, what are your, you know, what are your goals? What are your ex- expectations? Whatever he said to be the best player ever to play this game. And he hadn't played a game at Washington yet. And I just kind of like, was like, come on, man. Like, like you, you've proven nothing at this point. You got a number one ranking because of what you did in AU basketball, it means nothing. And I just wish some of these kids would would, would show the, the humility that I think we love Steph Curry for. He always says the right things. LeBron, even, for being the best player on the planet, LeBron's pretty humble for the most part. I mean, he gives credit where credit's due. Obviously, he knows he's the best player in the, on the planet, and sometimes he can get carried away and, and come across as arrogant. Um, but I think these kids have proven nothing. LeBron is the best player. You can make a case, one of the top three players ever. However you want to put him, one, two, or three, it doesn't matter. These guys right. haven't done anything yet. You know, it, it's it's also, remember, when LeBron came out, it wasn't close. Like, we could get onto LeBron for saying, well, you know, man, you, ha- you, you can say I wasn't supposed to be here, but you had the chosen one tattooed across your back. Right. The difference right. is... I, I was there for the 2003 draft. I watched him play in high school. I watched him play. It wasn't close. There was no, no one no. in his stratosphere. So even nope. if it felt like bragging at the time, like, you know what? It wasn't really bragging. It was kind of matter of fact. Whereas these kids are super talented. They're really skilled. But there's there's no separation between them and the rest of the world the way there was with LeBron. So please stop likening yourself to anybody of that elk. And, oh, by the way, Doug, Michael Porter played, what, three games? Trey Young lost a lot of games last I checked. 
and DeAndre Ayton got knocked out in the in, by Buffalo and got pounded. So, like, I know what you guys are capable of. You're all talent, and I like all three of them as kids a lot, a lot. I know all three pretty no, well. No, you're a you're wow. a hater. You're, when you relay what other what NBA GMs tell you about Michael Porter you're Jr. rubbing That's them right. the wrong way, you're a hater. It's amazing, isn't it? Because again, all you're doing is saying, "Listen, I've been called by numerous NBA guys since before Michael Porter got hurt when he was practicing, and they were wondering what the hell is going on with this kid." And I was shocked when I first heard it, Doug. I was because I've sat down with them numerous times, and when they're telling me like. Who is this kid? He, you know, he, he 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 conducts himself like he's not a part of the team and arrogant and all that. And I'm saying to myself, like, is this the same kid that I know? Um, okay, l- let's get to the NBA draft, which is upcoming on Thursday night. This is going to drop on a uh, on Wednesday morning, so we'll get people ready for it. Uh, you had you said Luka Doncic might 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 fall all the way to fourth. Does that mean Jaron Jackson goes third uh, to the Atlanta I Hawks? So. Yeah, I, I think he's just got such high upside, and, and, and people see him as, again, like what you were saying, the new age big, right? I mean, he can, he can step out and shoot threes. It's not pretty. I think he's going to get a lot of shots blocked uh, on closeout shooting the three because he shoots at you know really low release point, um, and it doesn't have great rotation. But, again, if the kid Any works, rotation. he'll get better. He'll get better on that. He will. He'll get better, and he's really good defensively, and he's super high character, and he works and he's humble and all that. So I think I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I, you know, I saw somebody compare him to, like, Kevin Garnett today or yesterday, and I'm like, come on. Again, again get, listen, listen let, me, let me just let me, let me explain something. Okay? I, this, and it's very – and now, now, listen, Kevin Garnett was also 19 when he graduated high school, whereas uh, Jaron Jackson, he's really young. Um, I don't yep. know if – I don't yep. is he is he even he 19, 19 yet? Yeah, yeah, I don't know if he is 19. 19 yet. I think he turns 19 later this year. Okay, so 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 this is an important part to make, point to make. My high school senior year was 1995. I too was old. I was 19 years old. I played the Magic's Round Ball Classic, and KG was in that game, but he didn't show up until game day because he was studying for the SAT. Took the SAT on a Saturday, to which he didn't get a passing score, and that's why he went directly to the NBA. Okay, so here's some of the other, Stephon Marbury in that game, Sharif Abdurrahim awesome. in that game, Vince Carter in that game, um, wow. Robert Trailer in that game. Unbelievable list of players. We practiced for the week leading up. I replaced Chauncey Billups, who had a shoulder injury in that game. Loaded up with guys that played a decade in the NBA. It wasn't how, how many shots? Close. I want to know how many shots you took in that game, Doug. How many shots? I didn't take very, not very many. No, I had like <laughs> I did a good job. Honestly, my 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 sole focus in that game was to shut down Stephon Marbury, not get crossed up, and I really frustrated Steph. And and he shot a he shot a terrible percentage. I uh, had a couple good dimes. I think I only made one layup. I took like one or two threes, and that's about it. I was just facilitating. I mean, there's some dudes. Anyway, um, my point is, like, to people who are like, well, he's a lot like, is he long, and can he play facing up the basket? Like, yeah. But before you even liken him, and even if you want to say he's like Kevin Garnett when he came out of high school, no, he's not. Kevin Garnett was the best player in America, and it wasn't close. Jaron Jackson... Look, I think he has a chance to be a really good face-up, athletic big who can defend the rim yep. as well, um, yep. somewhere between you know a slash four or five. But he's, uh, I think he's gonna be good. He's can not. Can he be Kevin... a Chris Bosh type? Can he be a Chris Bosh type? 
I, I think that's more Bagley. I also think Bagley can handle it and shoot a little bit better than you think. I don't think he was put in that situation at Duke. I've seen him do a couple more things. But, yeah, like, look, I think – I don't know if he's Chris Bosh, but I do think he can be a face-up big. I think he's going to have to rework his jump shot. And if, um, if you know, the last five years you look at guys that have had to rework their jump shots, none of them do it in the first year. They do it in the year between the first and the second year. The, the, the teams don't feel like they have enough time. You know, you get a guy at the end of June. He does all the media stuff. You practice him up. He goes to summer league. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. too it's too it's too late to rework through things and they wait till the end of the first year. There's also some confirmation bias though with NBA teams. No one really shoots well their first year, but you're not gonna shoot well shooting your old jump shot and then they can go eat the numbers like, look, I know you want to shoot that shot, but look at the numbers, right. they don't lie, and yeah. it helps the guy get buy in. So I agree with you. He's he's got all right, let's kinda move through this the first round yeah. of the draft. Um let's say Doncic goes goes four. You get to five Mavericks. They go Mohammed Bamba? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a high character in Nerlens Noel, right? And 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 obviously a guy who can shoot it. Nerlens was capped out. He never got better, part because of his work ethic. Uh, where Mo Bamba, I think, is going to have high work ethic. Um, he, he's obviously super long. Does everything in the defensive end, and I think he'll be adequate offensively. I don't think he'll ever be a great offensive player, but I think he can be a solid offensive player. What happens with Trey Young? I've seen ESPN now have him dropping as far as the L.A. Clippers at 12. Uh, his camp is saying three through eight. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's three. I, I don't think he goes three to five. I think his, his ceiling is probably six um, because of a need uh, with Orlando, and I think he could fall to the Clippers who, who clearly need a point guard and could take a shot on him with one of their two picks. Be fascinating to see. All right, check out his new podcast. Of course, he's going to work for Stadium Sports. He'll be joining us hopefully more regularly. He's Jeff Goodman. Everybody hates him except for me. I'm kidding, Jeff. I don't actually like you that much. Thanks so much well, for joining us on All Ball. That. You got it, man. I'll talk to you. So, look, as we get ready for the NBA draft, um, I just I, I get the DeAndre Ayton thing. He is a man-child. He is skilled. He He's shown a much better motor in college than he did when he was in high school. That bodes well for him. He can shoot. He can pass some. Not a great shot blocker, but it's not like he can't block shots at all. I just, how many times do we have to see a center being taken out of the game in a big NBA game before we start to think, is that really the best best route? Um, but I gave you the guys that I would take instead of. I would take Marvin Bagley one even if I was even if I was the Phoenix Suns. Part of the problem with the Phoenix Suns is they just don't seem to have a winning culture. They got a lot of talent there. I do think Devin Booker still has a chance to be a superstar. But at some point, they got to decide, all right, we got some pieces. We want to win. They're going to take Aiton. Bagley's going to go to Sacramento. And what happens with Atlanta really kind of shapes the rest of the draft. My guess, just a guess, is that you know, they know what they have at points, so they probably go with Jaron Jackson at three. But, you know, maybe they go for Trey Young, and maybe they try and, and play the way that Golden State did. Maybe they try and remake themselves in that fashion. We'll, we shall see. In the meantime, I really appreciate you downloading, rating, and subscribing to this podcast. It's called All Ball. It will continue as next, next week. We'll get you ready for LeBron week or Kawhi week. We'll react to the draft. We'll react to draft day trades. 
and get you ready for a free agency bonanza. And we'll begin to talk a little bit more about what's left, the shrapnel that we got to pick out. Oh, yeah, college basketball, not just recruiting, but guys that didn't keep their name in the draft. Who benefits? Who's strong? Who's weak? The massive rebuild jobs in the incoming recruiting class. This is All Ball. I'm Doug Goff. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.